Welcome to the 80s Arcade Podcast. Here's your host, Bob Johnson. Hello, with me today is Paul Hornitsky, gamer and operator of the annual World Championship of Esports and the Main Gaming League. Hey, Paul. G'day, Bob. How are you? I'm doing pretty good here. Uh, it's nighttime here. I guess it's daytime where you are. Yeah, well, look, it's a beautiful 67 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a sunny day. It's spring, so I'm in the Southern Hemisphere. And I wanted to say to you, Bob, thank you very much for contacting me to be on the podcast. Uh, arcade gaming is absolutely very lively at the moment. It's a fantastic environment, and I'm very happy to talk to you about it today. Oh, thank you. Um, so what was the first video game you remember playing and, you know, where was it? Oh, my God. You're asking me that question. Are you serious? Yeah. Goodness. I have to go way, way back because um, with the listeners that are listening to the podcast today, I've played for decades on arcade machines. So to really think back, I would say probably Pong. Pong would be the first game I ever played. There was a bowling alley that uh, was very close to where I lived. And uh, with Pong, when I saw it, I didn't understand what was going on because my background is in pinball, uh, everything physical, the silver ball. I really loved playing the pinball, and uh, they were what we called the electromechanicals in the 60s. And uh, that was my period of you know, gaming, if we can call it that. And when I saw a pole in the bowling alley, it was in this yellow cabinet, and you saw these dials and people were playing it, and you could see on the screen a video, which I'd never seen before in my life, and you could control these electronic images on the screen by with these paddles. And uh, it was a very, very popular game. Uh, people used to play it all the time, and what I really enjoyed about the game also was that uh, there was a design defect in the game, and the defect is they didn't make the coin box big enough. So uh, when I went to play it, I put in my, my coin and, and it played. But what I often found was that the um, coin mechanism was jammed with coins, and because I had pinball background, you just bang the, the slot and you get a few coins. So it was absolutely fantastic. That's pretty cool. I, I didn't... Uh... I didn't even realize that about you know, banging the coin door to get a couple of coins out. You go back to the pinball days back in the 60s and whatever, um, you know, quite often the coins used to jam, and especially the lighter coins when they were just a few um, cents to play. And so there was a technique, and obviously the operators didn't enjoy it when they heard, you know, their machines being hit, but you used to do it gently, and then you get some coins, and with Pong it was the same thing. So, But coming back to the question about Pong, it was really a sensation, and it was really the beginning of my journey in, uh, into arcade gaming or video gaming, and what was to come, who knew what would come, and uh, it was absolutely fantastic. It was only black and white, Pong, um, but it was a great two-player game, so you immersed in with another person straight away, and a lot of these early games that were created in video games were two-player games, and that was a really good idea. Did you happen to have like an arcade or uh, you know a bowling alley or something that you went to on a regular basis where you played video games? That's exactly right. Well, 
when video games first came out, we're talking about 1974 or something about, I'm just trying to think how far back that would be. No, actually 1972 when Pong was out. So we, we had a bowling alley company out here in our country called AMF and one of their deals was to actually put in well, pinball to start with and that's where I played. I regularly went to the uh, bowling alley, um, you know, a few times a week. And, you know, I was just, you know, less than 10 years of age when I used to go down. And uh, I, I, when they got the video games coming out, they started coming out there and, and that's where I played. With, you know, with the renewed popularity of like arcades and barcades, are there any over in Australia that you've seen that capture the feel of like a real 80s arcade? Absolutely. Well, the barcades in the U.S. are fantastic. Can I just say that? There are so many. And they are part of the reason for the resurgence of arcade gaming in the United States and in the world. Um, so, you know, you've got ground control, you've got one-up, galloping ghosts, you've got fun spot, um, even the home arcades, Ken House, John Salter. So, you know, there's a whole string of arcades in the US, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's really brought arcade culture to life. Um, but out here, uh, there's a uh, fantastic barcade, I would call it. It's also a diner called Netherworld. We're going to actually hold the Kong off, uh, which Richie Knuckles is coming out to Australia to hold in, I think, November. And uh, we've got quite a, a few guests coming in from the US to play at the tournament. And going to that arcade is, and I've been to a lot of arcades, uh, you know, for decades. I've been to them, seen them. There have been some wonderful arcades in the US like Aladdin's Castle and all the others, but Netherworld is a fantastic um, site. It's got something like 30 to 40 machines, which isn't so many compared to, say, uh, Galloping Ghost, which has something like 662 machines. But the atmosphere, the games they have, they've got a Pac-Man, a Donkey Kong. It's fantastic. The food's great. I mean, it's about today's food. You know, people eating vegan, healthy food, junk food. It's terrific. It's got pinball, if you like pinball. And for those people who like to have a social drink, that's there, plus board games. So it's interesting how business has come into arcades and made a successful business model for everyone to follow. Yeah, I would say I, I agree with that. Um... One thing that I am be honest, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but at least here in the US, I'm starting to see more of like the 60 and ones and things of that nature. And while I'm glad to see them, the unfortunate problem is I also see that a lot of them are destroying original cabinets instead of building them. And that kind of bothers me. Yeah, listen, I understand where you're coming from. I've got a love hate relationship on that point. I agree, you know, like when you have a beautiful, say, Burger Time or a Donkey Kong original and then you put a 61 in, it's not a nice thing to do. Um, but when you look at what barcades have to do, uh, which is they make money, as you know, out of the drinks and if they've got food, that's their real revenue makers. The games are their theme. If I wanted to play, say, Rastang, which is what we're doing in the MGL now, or I want to play, say, a Jumping Jack or I want to play Joust, if you don't have the original there on site, and a lot of these arcades do not, uh, what do you do? So one way to do it is a 16-in-1. 
there's also the game elf and the the pandora so it, it's like i said a love hate it's 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 a hate thing to see the machines changed out like that you know it would be lovely just to have them dedicated to what they are but when you're trying to satisfy customers who want to be able to play a variety of games to satisfy satisfy the operator who hasn't got the floor space to put on 50 machines they might put in 30 with a 16-1 or a game elf i really see the economics in it but uh, i do agree with you but also there's positives in doing it as well yeah and unfortunately at least as far as i've seen i haven't seen any like the you know like the kits that are reasonably priced where they could buy the kit and have someone still put a 60 in one they seem like they're you know upwards of a couple thousand dollars us and like you said as a business person that's hard to you know spend that kind of money well put it this way if you look at arcade machines in the us they're not cheap now i mean they're very expensive maybe 10 20 years ago i don't know i'm not an expert but maybe like you can pick them up for three four five hundred dollars but now they're like twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars a piece. Um, depends on the game, and they're harder and harder to get. Remember, these machines—you know—they're over thirty-five years of age, and you know they do eventually reduce in numbers, and they're very hard to get. So that's why it's important that you do have these multi-board games so that people can experience. Arcade gaming. Otherwise, let's talk 20 years from now, or what's left. It'll be even less than what we had. So, to make sure the arcade culture is vibrant and continues, and I would like to say grow, we do need these other boards, and we do need, for example, Maine, which is incredibly important because without it, it'd be a lot smaller than what it is today. And almost everybody wouldn't be able to experience arcade gaming today. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, you know, maybe maybe in the future, if uh, the revival of arcades continues, maybe the um, you know the the kit pre-built kits will come down in price where they can do that. But you are right; at least it does help uh, show the younger generation what these games were like. Well, the younger generation are our future, if I can say that for arcade gaming. Um, you know, who's going to be playing in 10, 20 years' time, 30 years' time? So, um, you know, I hope to be on the planet still, but I hope I can still play as well as I do, and perhaps yourself and many, many others. Um, but the future is the children and the people that associate with it, and that's where the barcades are really have a big plus. There are so many young people going to the barcades, having a fantastic time to learn about arcade culture, the games, the community. It's, it's a brilliant future there. Absolutely. Uh, actually, both of my nephews, who now are uh, young men, but were exposed to the classics and still love them because of the, the cabinet I built, my main, main cabinet that I built. And that was their first experience with these games there. It's about exposure, and, and it's fantastic that you built the actual cab. How, how did you find building it? Was that a big challenge? Uh, for me, yes. Uh, I actually had a good friend of mine who is very well versed in woodworking, and he would say, here's what you need to do, and he'd be like, now you go cut this piece of wood, and you go sand this. <laughs> okay. And what, what, what game board did you put in the machine? Or or was it a PC? It was a PC. 
Yeah. Okay, well, that's cool. And that, look, isn't it wonderful you got one machine that can play, potentially, MAME, as I understand it, now can play 7,000 games. And when you think about it, if you don't have MAME, you, you know, people would forget the history. They wouldn't be able to play it. And the only other choice is to go to an arcade. But, you know, if I live in Florida or I'm in Texas, you know, I can't go every day or every two days to Galloping Ghost, which has, like I said before, like 662 machines, and they still don't have them all. So it's very, very hard to find a machine that you want to play. Um, you know, a lot of the arcades are maybe 50 machines or 30 machines, and they have the common ones that people like. But arcade game is more than just Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, and say Miss Pac-Man and Joust. It's a lot more than that. And it's about the appreciation of all the games, Cubit, Dig Dug, uh, Jumping Jack, all these other games. That's, that's, what's, that's what's really important. Yeah, you mentioned Jumping Jack, and actually the first time I ever played that was in the MGL. And now, I mean, I, I, it's an awesome little game. I, I love it. Well, that, that, that's, it is a fantastic game. And, and I remember Richie Knuckles saying in one of the um, movies that he did, whether it was King of Arcades or it was Video Craze, um, he was saying everybody's got their game. And I'm not saying Jumping Jack is your game or my game, but what I'm getting at, Bert, everyone's got their own taste for games, whether they're fighting or shooting or maze. Um, or any combination of those. And so Jumping Jack was very well received uh, in the community and it's important that you can discover games uh, using MAME or other, or going to an arcade, you might see it there, and you can then get a connection or want to play that game further. Well, going on to talking about our favorite games, what is your favorite arcade game, would you say? You've been asking what's my favourite after I played probably about maybe three or four hundred different games in the arcade era. Look, I'm, I'm look. I'm not going to be a conformist. I'm not going to give you one. Uh, I'd have to give you a few because it's a bit like if you've got four children, Bob, and you ask me which one's your favourite child. I'm not going to pick one of them. I have to say all four of them. So when it comes to video games. Uh, when I think about it, I would say, look, I'm not good at Mr. Do, but Mr. Do is a brilliant game. Uh, I love the game engine. It's a cute game. It's very high scoring. Fantastic game. Similar game that I also enjoy was Dig Dug. Uh, Dig Dug is a sensational game. Uh, it's amazing to watch, say, Ken House or Donald Hayes play these games. Fantastic game. Zookeeper is a bit of a cult game that I've always enjoyed. Um, it's insane how you can do these massive jumps where you can pick up like a million, two million, five million, ten million, or even thirty million points in a jump. Absolutely brilliant game. Miss Pac-Man probably defines to me, perhaps in the arcade era, what is perhaps the most important game to me that defines the era. I mean, Pac-Man was wonderful, and they sold more Pac-Man machines in the world than any other game in the history of arcade gaming. Uh, but Ms. Pac-Man was a refinement of that, and uh, you know, couldn't use really patterns anymore. And smooth play in the game engine was fantastic. Uh, I do like shooters as well. So 
<clears throat> there's a game called XXs uh, from Capcom, fantastic game. R-Type was a fantastic game. G Darius, uh, Gradius. So these are the more what Japanese players enjoy playing the shooters, and I very much like them. They're fantastic games. Um, but then there's also special games like this of Tron in the environmental cab. Uh, if you've just seen that game and walking into that environment to play against SARP and work and fight on the game group, it was a sensational game. So, um, and I'm sorry to go on, but Gunsmoke, uh, I've always liked Westerns as a kid. So I always liked, um, you know, movies that involve Westerns, uh, you know, and, you know, Clint Eastwood. So Gunsmoke with the um, three-button shooter to shoot left, uh, forward and right, and a combination of those was a fantastic game. And uh, I guess there would be a few others. But I would say in that group would be, my favourites, and probably Miss Pac-Man just defines the arcade era. I can't say it's my most favourite. Um, that would define the era, and I'd have to say Pengo, Blaster, and a few others are really sensational games as well. Yeah, I have to agree. Just even as you were mentioning the games, I'm like, oh yeah, I like that game. I like that game too. Uh, it, there's so many of them, like you said, that it is very hard. And myself, you know, I always say Space Zap because of my record, but there's so many games, like you said, Miss Pac-Man, I couldn't agree more with you that that is, the, you know, the arcade game. If you had to say this is the only arcade game you ever get to play, I would say Miss Pac-Man would be a, a, a very good candidate for that. Yeah, and look, it's always about what people like. And as I was mentioning before about Richie Knuckles, you know, everyone has their favorite game. So it could be that Lonnie McDonald loves Joust, and that's his number one game. That's cool. I don't have a, that, 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 I, I do like the game. Um, John Petrich, who's the um, world champion on Zookeeper, might say, well, Zookeeper is the best game in the world. And I totally agree with him. You know, it's, it's a cool game. Or you ask Donald Hayes, and he loves his dick dog. So. It's, you know, when there's like, I don't know, there'll be hundreds and hundreds of games in the arcade era. There wouldn't be just one game that you would like. There are several, and that's why, and I apologize I gave you that many games, but really, it's, it's so exciting to play all of those games. Um, and that's why I keep coming back to arcade. They are fantastic games. And for people who've never played them, the, the new generations that are playing the games or who are about to play them, they really have a fantastic ice cream shop where you can, you know, buy any flavor you want, you know, pistachio, chocolate, vanilla, I don't know, plum and cherry sauce. They're all great flavors, and that's what arcade games are as well. Yeah, I think especially back then, there was uh, more, uh, the ability to experiment was there because we really didn't know what a video game was. Absolutely. I mean, look, some of these games that they made, you just wonder what they were taking in those days. I mean, you look at Qbert, for example. you got an orange guy with two legs. He's got a nose like an elephant. And this thing just moves on these three-dimensional cubes to change colors, right? And that's the game. But you've also got these other bad guys like Romway, and I can't remember the other guy, that actually jump anti-gravitational. 
And the game engine is fantastic, the, the color combinations you can make and how difficult it becomes. But it is a weird game, um, but it is fun. Um, I mean, Pac-Man in many ways is a weird game. I mean, it was designed on the basis of a pizza and you take a, a cut a piece out of the pizza and you've got this thing that moves through a maze eating dots and you've got these very cute, or I call them cute ghosts in pastel colours, which I enjoy very much, you know, the very light blue and the light orange and so forth, um, where, you know, you're trying to survive in a maze and you pick up fruit. So you've got those, plus, you know, when you play, say, Tron, the game, you know, it looks sensational, the illuminated colours from the movie that are in the game. You know, you're on the... You're on the game grid, you're, you know, you're doing the light cycles, you're doing the tanks, um, and the sounds from the games are fantastic. So, uh, and they're just three examples of how interesting the games were, and you had no idea what the designs would be like, and that's part of the beauty and the creativity of the games. I think that's what came to the fore. Um, you know, companies really wanted to make sure they were unique and different to other game artists. And really, they just went for it and made really incredibly interesting games with different game engines and different things that you have to do and uh, really fantastic machines they made. So with all these games, do you actually own any arcade cabinets? Uh, I do. I um, Look, uh, my history was that uh, I played arcades and, uh, for many years, but when they disappeared, I went sort of into a Rip Van Winkle status, so I didn't really play any arcade games for about 20 years. And it wasn't until uh, I heard about Twin Galaxies, I didn't really know about them, I heard about it through a friend that I really um, got interested in, and I could see that there was a scoreboard that showed the world records on, on so many games. And when I looked at the records, I thought, well, let's have a look and... What did I get back in the day? Because I kept my own records and I went, oh, look at that. Well, I beat that score and, and look at that. I've, I've gotten a higher score than that and well, that one's, I'm, I was very close. So looking at that, I really wanted to get the original arcade machines and what I did was I got in touch with um, John Yates, who's in Illinois, and uh, he saw some arcade machines for me and I uh, managed to buy... A few, and I picked up a Pengo, which I'm very happy with, and um, I managed to get a disc of Tron here locally. Unfortunately, not the environmental, which would be my holy grail if I had one of those, but I don't have it. I just have the upright. Uh, and the difference there for people who don't know is that with the uh, environmental, it's got the speech card, uh, even though you can put the speech card into the upright, but... It has a speech card and Sark talks to you and uh, he gives you a hard time and I quite enjoy that. I picked up a Donkey Kong only because of the famous nature of the game. Um, you know, as you know, they made The King of Kong, which is a, a pretty famous movie as far as helping to re-kick, start the arcade genre in, in the US and around the world. So I picked that up uh, and I picked up a few other games. Um, so, yeah, I do have a few arcades. The, the biggest issue with them is that they keep breaking down. You know, they're really old. And I'm no tech guy, and I don't really want to spend the time 
to fix them. So my hat and kudos to those people out there listening who are experts on fixing game boards and fixing sticks and all that sort of thing. That's a whole world in itself and a fantastic world. I'm not really into that. But uh, the arcade machines are just beautiful that I have. Uh, just walking into my home and just seeing the machines there, for me, it's not about going back in time. It's about today. And they all give you a great sensation of and buzz of arcade game. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I have a few cabinets myself. And uh, like you said, I, I'm not much of a repair person. I know a tiny bit, but I have a friend who's really good at that and helps keep my machines running. But um, you're right, just to play on the real machine, as we've said before, MAME is great, but to actually stand in front of the real cabinet and play on the real controllers is something else. No, I agree with that totally. What, what machines do you have? You got a Space App? What else do you have? I have a Space App, Road Blasters, and Smash TV. Oh, okay. So Road Blasters, that's a great game. That's uh, an Atari game, right? Is that right? That is correct. Yep. It is. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's an excellent game. You know, it's like uh, Mad Max on the road. It's a crazy game. Um, and Smash TV, uh, I think Martin Bedard, who's the world champion on that game, that was released quite late. I think it was like a 1990 game or something. But it's a Wiggins game, and it's a very popular game as well. But a lot of listeners probably don't even know the game, but it's worth checking out. Oh, very much so. Um uh, when I have uh, get-togethers here at the house, it's always one of the games that everybody wants to come to because it is a two-player game. Yeah, well, two-player games were very important, especially in the early days. Like when I played, um, <clears throat> as I told you, I played Pong to start with, but um, just a, a few years later, uh, Key Games brought out a game called Tank uh, in 1974. And that was a fun game, black and white screen, just like Pong. But, um, you know, you had these little tanks and you had those sticks that Battlezone would have as well, you know, and you'd use those sticks to drive your tank. So um, that was a two-player game that I really enjoyed. And this was in the early days. And another one was Biplane, which came out in 76. Again, a two-player head-to-head game, black and white again. So two-player games are, are great to immerse gamers, a bit like Marble Madness uh, um, as well, you know, two-player games. So... It's interesting how a lot of games in the arcade era became you play it by yourself. You can play two-player, but then the other player comes in later. So it's interesting how it started where you two play at the same time, but then it changed. Yeah, and um, I will say that's one thing I think that the younger generation, maybe that's one thing that kind of deters them a little bit, is that they want to always play, you know, two-player or three-player games. And even, like, with eSports, I think that's one of the things is they're like, well, I can't play against someone, and that kind of deters them. It depends. Um, put it this way, if you play Dota or League of Legends, that's that's all about many players playing together, and I know that's not arcade, so that's cool. Um, but with arcade, there are certain titles that are fun to play. Like, Bubble Bobble is a brilliant game. I mean, I love the game. I, I should have mentioned that as one of the games that I enjoy. So, I'm sorry. I've seen how so many games are, are wonderful. But Bubble Bobble, my two daughters, or I've got three daughters, they used to play that when they were very young. And they love that game. And I love listening to the game being played and then laughing. So, 
that's one. Uh, but as I said to you before, there aren't many that you can play two at the same time. XXs you can play at the same time together. Uh, I think Marble Madness you can play together at the same time. So there are a few, but there are many that you cannot. So I do understand. And with the younger generation you were saying, or, or kids that you know wanting to play at the same time, I totally get it. Um, and But there are some arcade games where you can do that. Yeah, one thing I was thinking that uh, I don't know that it would ever work, but if anyone were ever to have the um, maybe the you know money behind it, I think that if you were to do like a televised or even internet stream of like the one player arcade games, it would almost have to be like they do with golf, where you kind of show you know here's the guy on the third hole, and then here's the other guy, and here's how he did on the third <laughs> hole. And I think it'd be that way where you could be like, okay, here's player one and he's playing Miss Pac-Man and here he's doing on the first board. And then they would, you know, cut to player two who might be on the first board or he might be on the second board at that point. Uh, that might work. Hey, listen, I think you're onto something. I think that could work very well. I mean, that's a great idea. That, that's something that could be done. Um, I like it. Um, I just wanted to say also just... Um, Adding on to what you just said about televising, you know, liking golf, people playing certain games in arcade. Uh, I hope listeners got a chance, and if you haven't, just look it up on the net, but uh, the Gallagher World Championship that uh, Meow Wolf held, the, the score wars that was held some months ago in New Mexico, that was a fantastic tournament. They had a very high streaming uh, viewership. And uh, it's similar in concept what you're talking about, though there was only the one game. Though they did have other world champions there playing other games like track and field, Hector Rodriguez, and um, I think Donald Hayes was playing Centipede out there, and quite a few other gamers. I think John McAllister, perhaps on what's that game? Asteroids or something like that. That idea would work, I think, Bob. I think what you're talking about is great. It's about finding the support to do it. Um, and obviously the catch, because nothing works without catch. Absolutely. And the thing is, obviously, like you said, we're getting older and you got to have appeal to the younger crowd. And so maybe that would work. Well, I, I think it would work. And when you say we're getting older, I don't, I, I like the way you put a twist on that. I don't look at it that way. We're gamers, doesn't matter what age you are. And, uh, you know, the young fellas and the old fellas, if you want to say it that way, they all compete in arcade, which is fantastic at the moment. So uh, it's, it's important in arcade gaming that all the generations can play. And uh, when I first went to an arcade all those decades ago, I thought one of the great things about the arcade was that it was a meeting place where all different types of people came to play games. So... I, I saw people, factory workers come into play and, they, you know, they might play, say, Joust and right next to them playing perhaps Load Runner, there's a business professional who's having lunch and, uh, and then next to that person could be playing Burger Time and uh, that person's like a 10-year-old kid. Um, and then, say, mum and dad may come in and work on, play on the other machine. So that was one of the things I really enjoyed was the social aspect in the arcade. You would see all these different people, all these different characters, 
And I'm going back when that was not really the norm, not like today. It was very unusual to see that. You might go to a swimming pool and see it, but it, it, was, it was very unique and it was great. And it brought people together. It brought knowledge and discussion together. And it was part of arcade culture in those days. Absolutely. Uh, I would see people in my local arcade that I would never even see in school or I would hardly talk to them. But when we were in the arcade, it was totally different. Yeah. Which local arcade did you go to? And tell us a bit about it. How many machines? Uh, you know, what did you enjoy about it? Uh, it was an arcade called Pocket Change. Uh, smaller arcade, I would say maybe 30 machines max and maybe like three pinball machines that they would rotate in. Um, and it was in a, a mall, which actually is, uh, now it's torn down, but it was the either second or first mall in America, depending on who you talk to. Um, but it was, uh, so it was a chain, but it was great because they, they always kept the new games in. So there would still be like a Miss Pac-Man there, no matter what, I think till the day it closed. But as soon as Mortal Kombat came out, it was there. As soon as T-Mac came out, it was there. And so they always kept the new games and enough of the good old classic ones. Okay. Oh, that sounds great. And what were your favorite games in that arcade? Back in that arcade, um, boy, I would have to say that actually is where I got my first experience with Mortal Kombat. Uh, again, it was a little later. Um, but I, I'm not a big Mortal Kombat player to be honest, but that's where I first played it. And to see that game was just something at that time. It was a fantastic, it was something very new. So, and when I say very new, I mean, we had karate champ back in, in our day, uh, further back, which was a fighting game. Yi Ah Kung Fu, other examples, but Mortal Kombat was a dimensional jump and a lot of fun, very graphic, quite funny, um, quite disturbing at times, as you know, when you do those kills. But, uh, but really, it's a, it's a sensational game, and uh, Mortal Kombat is, you know, written into folklore, arcade gaming history. Absolutely. Um, interesting enough, the place where I like, found Space App was actually a bowling alley. So even though there was an arcade I went to, I'm sure much like here, there were arcade games everywhere. The laundromat, the gas station, the bowling alley. So a lot of times I would find the games I really liked would just be like at a gas station or be at the laundromat or the grocery store. Likewise out here, exactly what happened. I mean, there was saturation. With, there were thousands of arcades in the U.S. and that's part of the reason why there was the game crash because it was just oversupply of games, oversupply of arcades, so many people in it. But uh, it was really good and, you know, it, it didn't cost much to play a game. You know, you could spend a quarter to play a game and that's great instead of, instead of you know, buying a PC for $1,000, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's a huge investment to play. Um, but it was also new technology at the time. And that was very attractive. Uh, what makes them very special today is how challenging those games are. They've really had to design the games to be very interesting, intricate. They've put a lot of depth into the games. 
And when I say depth, I'm not just saying the storyline, which is not what arcade games are about. They're not about, you know, the saga of, you know, what's the total history and immersion of, say, Qbert or Xevious. But the game engine play and the level of expertise and engagement in those games is very high. And that remains still today. Absolutely. You're right. It had, a, it had to pull you in and they wanted to make sure that you played long enough that you'd come back, but not so long that they wouldn't make any money off of you. Well, that, you, you've hit it on the head. I mean, it was about making money and it's not going to make money if you're on that machine as a novice or just walk up it for like half an hour or 20 minutes or 10 minutes. So they were built hard. You, you know, the engagement was hopefully about two minutes for a first-time player and, um, and you would, you know, be inclined to put in another quarter to see if you can do any better. So that's the thing about gaming then and today's gaming. Uh, today's gaming has changed a lot, but when you look at the games, if you were to say... Um, let's buy the new um, Super Mario Brothers today and make it a 2018 version and I play the game and it goes for two minutes and I'm dead. I don't think people would like that. But that's what we had back in that time where you have the challenge. So I would argue, and I'm sure people won't agree with me, but I would say that the arcade games back then are a lot harder. And two, that's why it's sometimes harder to get people to play those games from that era because of the difficulty involved. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I've actually heard young people uh, say essentially what you said. They're like, this is too hard. I, I don't want to play. I can't, I can't win. How come you get so far and I can only get a little ways? Um, that definitely, I feel that you are right that the games now as a general rule, are definitely much easier than the early arcade games. And I might just qualify that easier in the sense of um, it's just the game time. You want to have an enjoyable game time. Can you have a lot of fun in two minutes or even if it's four or five minutes? You can, I guess, but it's more fun to be immersed in a world that can go for 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes or even longer, uh, or you have a safe state today in today's games. And just so that people are aware, I love today's games. I, I think they're fantastic. So I do enjoy them. I even play them. So I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying how different they are. Yeah, that, that is true. You're right. They, they are. It's definitely different. And also, the thing is with all, especially the home games, you know, once they sell you the game, there's no very little more money to be made. Whereas the arcade, it, it was make that quarter, make the next quarter, and make the next quarter. Well, I don't know. Was it 1982? There was something like $7 billion U.S. sales in arcade games. So, And back then, that's when that industry made more money than the music industry um, and the film industry combined. And people today say, well, what are you talking about? That's what happens today. But what people aren't aware of is that's when it first happened. And after the gaming crash in 83, 84, whenever it was, uh, it fell down and it's actually recovered today to be where it was back then. So things have really changed. And, uh, but it did happen back in the golden age of arcade games. Absolutely. Um... 
So I was going to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the you know main gaming league and the the world championship of esports here. Um, so kind of the first thing I'd like to ask you is, you know, what inspired you to take over the reins of the main gaming league? Okay, well, just to let people know what it really is, there's a tournament called the NGL, uh, and it's called the Main Gaming League. And to break that down a little bit more, what's main? I know that may be funny for some, but main means multiple arcade uh, machine emulator. And this software emulates arcade games from the 70s, 80s, 90s, even present games as they add on to it. So this was an important pivotal point to provide the gaming experience worldwide. Again, when you think back, you know, who can play Joust on a real machine? There's very, very few people in the world who can play. And, you know, who can play in France, Sweden, Australia, Canada? I'm in Florida, say, whatever. It's very hard to get to these machines. So MAME is, is what it's about. And why I got involved with this is that I enjoy gaming and I've played games for decades on all different platforms as well, consoles as well, PC, enjoyed them very much. Um, but when I saw for the first time um, the MGL at Aussie Arcade, which is a uh, website, aussiearcade.com, uh, Travis is the owner of the actual site. Uh, I could see a very vibrant gaming community. They also do pinball, jukeboxes, arcade repairs, um, and news on, on arcade and, and the gaming world in general. And I thought, well, I love games, and I wanted to give something back to the gaming culture. I wanted to help, help make it thrive, if possible, to make it grow. So I got involved to really revisit the games, let people know about them, spread the message. And at the same time, um, this was when uh, I discovered Twin Galaxies um, in 2011, and I was really getting more involved and retouching base with what I had lost perhaps for 20 years, my connection to arcade gaming. So I thought I would move forward. Uh, an opportunity came where uh, the Game Master didn't want to run the tournament anymore. Uh, it's hard to find them because the amount of time it takes to run them is, is considerable. And I put my hand up, and I think it was in 2013, I ran my very first MGL, and it was MGL 19, and I haven't looked back since. Well, it's, I, I will say, just from a personal point of view, that I think you run it very well. Um, I've only been on there since, I believe, 2014, 2015, um, I think it was around the MGL 25, 26, something like that, but it's always been run very well, very well organized. Well, thank you very much, Bob, for that feedback. I really do appreciate it. I get a lot of good feedback on the tournament and, you know, what, what it's really about, so that's fantastic. Um, just to let people know a little bit more about it, because a lot of your listeners would be hearing this for the first time. Um, what it's about is playing games over a set period of time. Um, and so a typical example is in our current MGL, there will be eight games. 
and we're going to play that over eight weeks. So it's eight weeks of gaming. It's not a weekend, all right? So a lot of tournaments in the U.S., and I understand why. I'm not against it, but it makes sense. You've only got time for a weekend to go, say, to Fun Spot. That's assuming you can even get there, or even to uh, Chicago at Galloping Ghost to play for a weekend. Well, this is eight weeks of playing, right? So that's... Um, 56 days of gaming, not three or four or five. So it's a really tough tournament in many ways, but you can play at leisure as well. We're going to play eight games, and what we do is we don't release the eight to start with. We release two in the first week, and then we release a new game uh, every week after that. And that way we get focus on gamers playing the same games rather than eight games all up and no one's playing the same games. And each game we play for 17 days, and you play those 17 days as best as you can. And we get a mix of um, novice players who've never played before, so maybe they'll only play twice during those 17 days. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. We might get some people who get a bit more time who can play more. They might play, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 games during those 17 days. You might get some pros who really enjoy that game and play it a lot. And we get some players who are really experts and world champions to join in. So eight to ten games is the general rule. Eight to ten weeks is the length. Seventeen days per game. And the whole idea is um, you try and score the best you can. It doesn't mean you have to be the world champion. It's not about, well, if you come first, that's all that matters. And if you come in 50th place, you're a nobody. No, that's not what it's about. This is the arcade culture where even if you come last, it's still great. You're playing, you're having a go. And it's about learning and developing in your gameplay, understanding and uh, interacting with the community. So they're the keys. And so after the eight to ten weeks, all the points are added up. We hope everyone's had a really good time playing the games, uh, learning more about them, getting more depth. And we total up all the scores and we have a champion, but we also have like the top 20 or 30 who we celebrate as uh, performing very well. And that's what it's about. It's really about that enjoyment. Other key points, it's a free tournament. You don't have to pay anything to play. We welcome everybody in the whole world. If you're a console gamer, a PC gamer, we welcome you. Uh, come and play in the MGL. All you need is main or the original arcade, so you can play original arcade games and we accept your scores, but if you have a main and you have access to 7,000 games, you can play. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can play. Whereas if it was only on the real arcade machine, it's a deliberate, I would call it deliberate, restricted tournament. And that's not what community is about. Where do you play? You go to twingetgalaxies.com, which is a fantastic site. Um, you can go to the threads there and play, and that's for the Northern Hemisphere. And for the Southern Hemisphere, if you'd like to play in that area, we have what we call AussieArcade.com, which is what I mentioned to you before, um, which is where we cover all the time zones of all the countries around the world. And I have a saying where every minute of every day, somewhere, someone is playing in the MGL. So it's a fantastic 24 hours a day, eight to 10 weeks tournament. Uh, we give actually a mystery prize. So if you play all of the games in the tournament, you'll be in the draw for a prize and we give away cash and memorabilia. So we're giving away um, 
I don't know, like Lego equivalent blocks of Centipede and Donkey Kong, cash prizes up to 200 US dollars for participants. So you don't have to win the tournament. You can actually win prizes um, just by doing your best. And what happens is that this is an NGL tournament, and then what we have done for the first time ever last year was create the World Championship of Esports. So this was the first tournament for arcade that in its first year went, I think, for 38 weeks. Now, that's a hell of a long time. That's longer than the NFL season. It's longer than the NBA season. And part of the promotion is it's the toughest video gaming championship in the world, without a doubt. We're playing these two-minute design games that people quite often do not enjoy playing because they're very difficult to play. Again, for 38 weeks, we're playing 38 different games. We're not playing, for example, Dota for the whole period, just that, or League of Legends or Mortal Kombat. We're playing 38. So the, the skill level required, the tenacity required to do very well is, is very high. But again, probably the most important gamer for these tournaments would be just the average gamer because... They're the ones who come in new, they try it for the first time, and they are just as important as any great gamer or professional gamer. So it's really about the community, and that's the World Championship of Esports, and we're doing it again this year, and it's been a fantastic tournament so far. Yeah, I will say, um, just to kind of quick give my experience, because like you said, I, I definitely am a player in the tournament. Um, you know, I've always considered myself a a fair player, a good player. Um, and there's definitely people much, much better. I am in the MGL, but you're right. I was, I'm never made to feel like, Oh, you're just not good enough. Um, I actually, when I first started playing back in number 25, 26, you know, I would generally place, you know, 40, 35th, something like that. Um, now I'm starting to place, you know, in the, you know, mid twenties, maybe the, the high thirties, and as you mentioned, last year I actually was in the top 20 for the um, World Championship of Esports. And I'm hoping to try to crack the top 20 this year, or maybe next year. Um, and they like said the uh, banter uh, is, is excellent. People, you know, usually at first week you kind of keep your secrets. But after that, a lot of times people just say, hey, have you tried this? Did you do this? This is how I do this. And th that replicates as much as possible to me the feeling of being back in the arcades when I was a kid where you would say to somebody hey how'd you do that agreed you're right and and that you're in the mid-20s now say um, after playing those many years is fantastic and even those people in the top 30 or 40 is still very good um, and you might say well why hang on you didn't come first the reason why is it's about life you know, gaming is life. It's about doing the best you can. And not everyone's going to be Tom Brady, say, if you play in the NFL or, you know, the best at this. It's about really improving and appreciating the games. And it's about the community, you know. It's, it's part of life that we, you know, deal with people, have fun with people. And we want to enjoy, as a community, seeing you game. And we welcome absolutely everybody, uh, arcade gamer, console gamer, whatever you want to be, you know, it's, it's for you. So, 
and it's free, like I said. So I'm very happy you're enjoying it. I get a lot of really good feedback uh, on the tournaments that are run, and there's no real pressure on people to play, you know. It's not like, well, oh, my God, this is too hard for me. I really feel pressured. I say this to all the gamers out there. You play how you want, you know. It's, it's really for you. Just enjoy it. And if you want to play, come and join us at TwinGalaxies.com or AussieArcade.com. Say hello and uh, maybe you can improve your game. I will say another thing I, I really like about this tournament, and there are other tournaments who do this also, but I feel that you guys really do this well, is that while you don't have to, you can nominate games. And I'll be honest, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll nominate the games I feel I'm good at and ones that people like, but I'll throw in one that is just a horrible game. There is um, a bootleg of Donkey Kong. I think it's called Logger or something really strange like that. Now, it didn't get picked, but I nominated it because I played it, and it was horrible. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, it was my kind of way of saying, hey, we don't get to always play all the fun games either. Yeah, yeah. well, I think the point you make is very important that uh, so that people, listeners are aware, the games, how are they selected? I don't select the games. Um, the games are selected by the gamers. So that's the other beauty of the MGL. So that the way it works is that we ask for nominations. Uh, normally we do a promotional trailer for um, the MGL. We do one uh, trailer for every MGL launch. And we invite gamers to nominate the games that should be played. And I gather all of those nominations via a PM, which is a private message on Twin Galaxies and Aussie Arcade. And we get to play what you guys want to play, not what I want to play, what you want to play. And that's really exciting. And we've had some fantastic games come out of that. And I just want to say that this tournament is truly for the gamers by the gamers and uh, by picking your own games. Uh, we can all enjoy it together. Absolutely. Um, and I like also the fact, uh, you didn't mention it, but it should be mentioned that there is a um, time that those games can't be repicked. So you can't have someone who might be the world champion, Miss Pac-Man, nominate Miss Pac-Man for every single MGL and every WCE. There is a um, delay time before it can be picked again. Absolutely correct. And that's the beauty of the tournaments. Um, it's so important that we don't play, say, Miss Pac-Man every tournament. So we play four tournaments a year, and that makes up the World Championship. So what we normally do is um, we won't play, we won't have another game eligible to be nominated uh, for at least two tournaments. Right? So if we played Miss Pac-Man last tournament, it's not up for nomination in the next tournament or the one after that, but it could be in the following one. But I, what I can say is that in WCE1, which is the first ever World Championship of eSports, we had obviously 38 different games. And in WCE2, which is this season for 2018, um, we've played 18 plus probably another five. So we've got something like 23 games we've played this season and none of those are a repeat of the 38 games from last year. So that makes it incredibly exciting, incredibly challenging. And part of the reason why we can do that is because 
the arcade golden age or the arcade games we've got to pick from are probably in the one to 2,000 range. So it's a huge pool of games to play. Again, we're not playing Dota for two, three, four, five years, which is a brilliant game, don't get me wrong. We're playing all these different games, and that is truly sort of supporting the idea that variety is the spice of life. Absolutely, and there have been several games that I have played through the MGL that now are like on my short favorites list, uh, including uh, Spatter and, um, like I said, Jumping Jack. Those are two that come to mind that I'm like, never heard of them, never saw them back in the day as a kid, but they're great games. And, and it's interesting you say that because I feel the same way. I've been on the planet playing these games, well, when I say these games, many of the games, but I haven't played them all. So I'm still discovering new games. And I would say also, in a way, this is like what it was back in the 80s. When I was there and uh, the first few games had come out, the excitement was, what will the next game be? We had no idea what it would be, what it would be like, what the cab looks like, and what the graphics would be like. And even today, I will experience that for me. But for you and everyone else out there, there will be games just like in the 80s. Oh, my God, I've never seen this game before. Let's play this, and it's fantastic. And I will be honest and say there will be some games which are very poor. That does happen. Um, that is part of the reason why there was a crash in, in the arcade game industry. But you've hit a very good point, and it's totally true. And you're right. There are, like I said, certain games that are, aren't good. And as I alluded to before, sometimes people will pick them on purpose just to kind of throw a monkey wrench in there. Um, but uh, for the most part, many, many of the games are at least interesting. They may not be your cup of tea, but they certainly are a game that will make you certainly challenge, challenge your playing skills. Agreed. And sometimes what can happen is this, is that a game may come up, you play the first game and think this is really a bad game. And you might be right, it is a bad game for you. But sometimes you'll think it's a bad game and you play a few more and you realize, hey, there's a little bit more depth to this or hey, I saw a tip on Aussie Arcade or Twin Galaxies on what to do and I can live longer or, hey, this makes it more interesting. So sometimes it takes discovery and some playing time to really evaluate whether it's a good game or not. Yeah, there's actually a game I think we just played in the last MGL um, called Future Spy and it's more or less kind of like a Zaxxon clone if you remember. But here's the thing. Yes. Here's the thing. I absolutely do not like Zaxxon at all. But Future Spy, I'm like, hey, this is kind of a fun game. Everyone has their game and everyone has their taste. You know, if some people don't like pistachio and, and some people don't like the color yellow and some people like blue. It's, it's really the same type of thing, but... Uh, I was never, when I first saw Zaxxon, I thought it was a very interesting game. I'd never seen a 3D game like that before. And my God, the game engine was tough to play. It was hard to work out what elevation you were at and when can you fly through the window. So it was very challenging. Um, and Future Spy is very similar to that. I think it was a Sega game. So 
Um, I, I've, I've got no hate feelings toward that game, but I don't have any fantastic feelings toward that game. But it is a, a very important, monumental game, Zaxxon, and, uh, uh, as well as Future Spy. You know, and I think that, thinking about it, I actually kind of uh, go through, like when I played Zaxxon as a kid, the few times I did, I had to play with my own quarters, my own money. Future Spy, I just have to push a button to play another game, so I'm more willing to give the game a chance and finally figure it out. And maybe if I had never played Zaxxon as a kid but tried it now, I might actually like it more. It, it, listen, your depth of knowledge and your viewpoint is fantastic. That is absolutely true. I mean, I, I, I was the same way. Like, um, I didn't really want to play Qbert in the old days because it was, it was hard for me to understand those controls very well. And there are other games I would prefer to play, right? Um, so I didn't put many quarters into Qbert at all. And I could name probably many others where I wouldn't do it because it would eat my money up quickly and I wanted it to last. But now that you have MAME or you're playing the MGL, okay, you've got to buy a PC, which is quite cheap, or you already have it for something else. You can put in as many quarters as you want per se, virtual. They don't cost you anything. And now you can play, and now you can really get to appreciate the game just like I did with Qbert and others, and perhaps like yourself with Future Spike. And I will say one thing, and this is kind of not real controversial, but people you know, are kind of like, because you couldn't do this back in the day, you know, you can do the safe states and you can do the cheats and things like that. And that while when you play, obviously in the tournament is not allowed. It maybe it, it allows you to see things you wouldn't normally see. And some people of course are for that. Some people are like, well, that's, that is cheating, even though it's technically allowed as far as when you practice, not when you play. Um, I guess, what is your thought on that? I will say it this way. Uh, I think people in life in general should learn as fast as they can and do the best they can. If that means research and knowledge, looking up how a game is played, learning techniques, watching other people stream, which is very common, especially on Twin Galaxies via the streaming on Twitch, people learning off each other. I'm all for it. Um, I'm all for improvement. I'm all for advancement. So if you learn a tip early or on how to do something better, fantastic. That's the idea. It isn't to be regressive. It isn't to be put your head in the sand and wait two weeks before you find out what to do. Part of the reason also is some of these games we don't play for maybe five or ten years again. So here's your moment, 17 days, go for it. Not, well, I'm going to play very conservative, I'm not going to look at anything and, and not do it. On the other hand, also, we, I have to appreciate, and I do games who don't want to look at tips or, or look at how to you know, learn at a slower pace. That's fine. But I'm not going to go against the person who wants to learn it quickly. So, again, as I said to you before, gamers can do what they want. Do what you like. I'm happy with what you want to do. You want to learn it quick, learn the tips, read it up, go for it. You want to use save states to learn? Fine. That's what the really good gamers do do. You ask them, they do it. Um, but if you don't want to use save states, you think it's cheating, you can think that, that's fine. I respect your point of view. 
But if you ask me what should be done, all should be allowed. Yeah, because I, I agree in that sense that with very little you know knowledge and just a little research, you can figure out how to do the safe states and things of that nature and the cheats and that. And as long as you're not using it when you're competing in a tournament of any type, it's to me, it's no different than watching the kid that is really good at that game and you're just looking over his shoulder. Exactly right. 100%. I don't know what I can add on to that. He's spot on. It was just like in the arcade days. You know, we make it up that, I don't know, Tim McVeigh is playing Nibbler and you watch him play back in the day of what techniques he used on playing that game. And as you know, we had no internet then, but, you know, there are 10 people who had a look. You know, Thomas Sark, I think he was an excellent player as well. They maybe learn off each other. Great. So they do it. And that's the same as today for me. It's the same. Except today we have the internet, we have streaming. We're in the digital age today. And it's about knowledge today and improvement. I don't see cheating in that in, the, in any way. As long as when you play your game, you do not cheat. You must follow the rules. Cheating is not tolerated in any way when you play your game for submission. But you follow the rules using that knowledge, that's a big plus and that's acceptable. And look, the other thing I would ask you, uh, Bob, on what you just said about when you learn techniques and uh, you improve your game, do you enjoy the game more then? Uh, yeah, I, I actually do. Like you said, you know, you're going to figure out some of the techniques on your own, but you're right. I've watched people play. I've had people watch me play and then figure out how to play something better too. And I know I enjoyed the games that I watched people and got better at. And like I said, I've seen people watch me then play the game and they're like, oh, that was so cool. I didn't know you could do that. Or I didn't know that was able to be done. Absolutely. And look, there's a beauty in that too. When you see, say, someone play who's an expert on Dig Dug or on, you know, Jason Vasilov on Ant Eater or Clay Kaczewski on Qbert, all these other players. If you watch them play, you see these techniques. Andrew Barrow, who plays a, a very good Gallagher. Um, you know, Thomas Bauer, who's fantastic on Gyrus. I'm just mentioning some of the players who really have in-depth knowledge on their games. Watching them play and picking up tips is, is a real joy. It's fantastic. Better to see it than not. Uh, it's about uh, transparency as well in the video game world. So I'm totally with you on that one, Bob. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, I know there are some players who are, are really don't want to show their techniques, and, and that is okay. That is their choice. But I, I'm with you. It's the way it was when I was a kid, I'd look over somebody's shoulder and to see what they're doing. Yeah, look, for people who don't want to show their game play, I don't have a problem with that either. I, I really don't. I'm just saying to you, it's just better to see people play so we can share the game, share the knowledge, or at least enjoy watching the game and talking about the game. But I don't really have an issue with either one. And you might say, well, Paul, you're sitting on the fence. I'm more sort of acceptable of people we got black white people, white people. we got people underprivileged, out of a job, professionals, you know, men, women, kids, whatever. It doesn't matter. We, I, I really try to build the gaming culture to remove discrimination and accept everyone. I was going to ask you a little something here. It's uh, 
your uh, username on the OCRK website is triple O. What does that stand for? What's the story behind that? <laughs> uh, not many people know about this story. And I had Max Haraski, who's an excellent gamer in the in the US, ask me that question. I know about a year ago. Um, but triple O really has a few points to it. Uh, back in the arcade gaming days, um, especially the first few games that were made, you couldn't put your initials in the game. You just had a high score or the game maxed out to a score. But when initials were available to be put in, um, it, I wanted to put in something unique. And the games that I used to play at that time, what I played a lot was Xevious. I used to play Pango a lot. I love Pango. Um, and another one was Dissatron. And when I looked at Pango, one of the important things in Pango is to get the three dimes together. And I always try to go for the 10,000 max, if possible, instead of the 5,000. And when I looked at the three blocks together, I thought, that looks like triple O. And would that be a cool call sign? And I was also later on playing Dissatron because it came out later. And I thought, well, with this at Tron, when you're the actually playing as Tron, you actually throw three discs. And if you put three sources on, say, a table and put them together, they look like triple O. And I thought, Pango and Disatron, triple O. Triple O is very distinctive. It's better than, say, BLH or JFQ or, you know, it was very unique and very simple, triple O. And I thought, well, I'm going to use triple O as my call sign. And I've been using it now for probably about 36 years. That's actually really cool. I, I never even thought of that. Um, it's kind of interesting because with obviously my name being able to always, for the most part, fit on the high scoreboards, I never thought of using anything but Bob. And in a way, it was kind of my way to you know mark my game. Um, so I never really had a, uh, a cool call sign, but that is actually a very interesting story. Well, put it this way, everyone has their own choice for what they put in. What do you put in? I just put in Bob. Okay. That's cool. And I think it, There's a lot of Bobs. Th there, there is. Um, but, you know, I think I always knew if I went back to the arcade the next day, you know, it was it was still there. It was still there. You know, unless of course they reset and you know they don't keep the scores. But the idea was that if I came back and I knew that the machine was still powered on and I saw that Bob, as long as I knew it was my score, you know, it was like that. That was still me. I reckon that's really cool. No, I agree with that. And that was the beauty of also with the arcade games. Uh, a lot of games today don't keep score. If you look at the modern games, a lot of them don't have them. But um, that's what's good thing. You had the scores. And you could put in your initials. So whether it's Bob or all the other ones, uh, it's interesting what letters there were. And you do get to remember some of the gamers. Like, how can I explain this? So back in the day, playing arcade games, sometimes I'd turn up to the arcade and you would say, see, say, JLF had played on this machine. So he wasn't there at the time. I didn't see him then. But I could see that he had been there today and he'd got the top score on, say, Slap Fight. So, you know, that's, that's something, it's a bit like uh, tracking people where they were. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do agree with you that. And it's interesting that, especially even back then, you know, I never thought of, the, you know, the, how common Bob was. Um, and obviously there were more than just for one Bob there. 
But uh, I still, like I said, if I looked, I knew my score. But you're right; it is kind of interesting that you kind of like you're marking your your game, your score. Yeah, and look, back in those days, I was going for high scores, and you know, you wanted to have a bit of a presence in the arcade. So, for people today new to the arcade, just letting them know it was in the arcade an experience, but also high scores, and it was. Nice to get a high score on a game and see your initials above everybody else, or it's the only initials you see on the game. So, and when you're a young lad playing these games, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Even now, when I go play in the barcades and I'll get the high score, I'll be like, yep, that's me right there. Have you been to any of the barcades at all, Bob? Actually, I have. Most of the ones that you had mentioned earlier, I have been to. I have not been to Ground Control. But I have been to Fun Spot. I've been to Galloping Ghost. Um, there's one here in Knoxville that I've been to called Token Arcade. Um, and a few other ones that I've been to, smaller ones. So absolutely. And then just traveling, I've seen some and I'm like, oh, let's just stop here. Well, so what do you think of them? I mean, I'm talking about true barcades. I'm not, is Galloping Ghost got a bar and Fun Spot? I would have thought not. Did they? They, they do not. Uh, but like the one I was mentioning at Token Arcade here in Knoxville, actually it does have a bar. Um, and the machines, like you said, are kind of not secondary, but it's definitely a part of their entire mixture as compared to, like you said, it's a galloping ghost. And um, I, I mean, I, I enjoy those too because like you said you can have food, you can have a, uh, a drink. Um, they have they also have board games there, so you can do all of those things and also play some arcade games and pinball in that case. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's a whole look. If you look at the scene in there, I mean, I haven't been to the ones you just mentioned, but in the scene I've seen out here in the barcades here, it's excellent in drawing what I would call the, the current generation of gamers and new gamers into arcade gaming now. It may not be serious gaming, and that's fine. It's social, but it's great to see people appreciate the games. There's a lot of women gamers I see playing these arcade games today as well. It may be very casual, but women in gaming is incredibly important. Um, one of the things I really missed when I was arcade gaming back in the day was there were very few women gaming, uh, and there'd be reasons for that. Uh, you know, Women need to have games that they enjoy as well. Uh, that's that's a very important point, but um, uh, I would like to have seen more involved. I'd love to have more in our tournaments, uh, and it's absolutely wonderful to see that Lauren Featherstone has is the world champion of Tapper. Um, that's a, just a fantastic news, and there have been other great champion women champions in arcade. I think on Splatterhouse as well. So uh, again, women in gaming is incredibly important as well. Absolutely. And like you said, when I go to the, uh, the one here in town, like you said, there's a lot of younger people, uh, both uh, men and women, and they're all just playing. Some are playing the video game, some are playing the pinball, but it's very much just a mix and mingle. And that's good to see. Absolutely. And look, you know, the games are secondary to really what it's about. It's about social interaction, having a good time. Let's have dinner if possible or a meal. So it's a way to have fun. And look, video gaming 
the video gaming industry, what we're doing on this podcast, it's all about entertainment. It's really about having that enjoyment and sharing that enjoyment. And I will say, I, I forgot to mention, but uh, the place that I go to here in Knoxville, they also actually have a high score uh, wall. They uh, took and made it with the, the chalk paint and they actually have high score wall where they put people's scores and uh, their name on there. Bob, have you got any high scores on that wall? Uh, I had one, but it's been knocked down, so I have to go back and get it back. <laughs> that's great. That's really good. And that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun going back. But a high score board or wall is very common for all for most of the arcades in the 80s. It's great to see in the barcades today they're doing the same thing. And, uh, and there's a lot more... I would say pop culture in a way involved with arcade gaming, um, which also adds an attraction. There's a lot more artwork being done to promote the barcades. And Facebook has been an incredibly important channel for these barcades. Um, Netherworld, for example, um, do a fantastic job on the promotion on the artwork, the artists, the, the bands that they hold on site, um, the events they hold. They've got, a, I think, a Daytona World Champion, or not a World Champion, but a Daytona Championship being held uh, on site. But I know they do that in the barcades in New York and Philly as well. So it's all fun and it's fantastic. And I just want to come back to say that that's why I'm saying to you, Arcade Today is in a very good state. It's it's very energetic. It's the vitality is very high. It's fantastic, and there's just so much happening. Absolutely, I think you could almost say uh, that this is kind of like the second golden age of arcades. That that that's a big call <laughs> to say that. Um, look, my angle on that was if you look at what's happened in the media. For example, the Pixels, Pixels movie was fantastic. A really great piece on arcade game. Um, you look at Wreck-It Ralph, they're going to make a sequel to that. Um, you've got the small artists who did a fantastic job. I really enjoyed the video craze that Dan Zara and Rossetti made. Really good film. Um, uh, King of, of the Arcades that Sean Tiedemann directed was a very good film. I, I enjoyed that. Man vs. Snake. Uh, another excellent film. Um, I think Jeff on Ward did uh, what was that? Space Invaders in Search of Lost Time. There have been a lot of films put together to help promote it, and as you know, King of Kong all that time ago. So that's all happening. We talked about the barcades uh, where more and more barcades are opening and the arcade culture is spreading. We've got MAME in the digital age today, which is incredibly important. It's a key component to everything in the world today. I mean, people who restore arcade machines use main ROMs to actually rebuild those machines. Um, you know, where are you going to get a Polybius ROM or whatever? That's where these things come from. So very, very important uh, in the resurgence, in a way, of arcade today. Your podcast, very important. This is, I believe, episode two, A New Beginning. Um, Arcade Perfect podcast here in Australia is another important one. Um, 
satellite on the screen has been going for many, many years. And Mike Stroker and Nick Houselander have done fantastic work on that. I listened to that. It's great. It's part of the culture. Um, we talked about Meow Wolf, Score Wars, holding that World Championship for Gallagher. Fantastic. The call-offs that have been held for several years uh, that Richie Knuckles has been behind and many others, fantastic. It just goes on there. And then you've got all of the shows and the expos like CACs and um, all the others that are held, PACs as well around the countries. Um, so arcade gaming is integral to gaming in general. And as you know, the real big picture in gaming today is today's games. That, there's no shadow of a doubt with that. But arcade gaming is the foundation block where it all began or was one of the major pillars of, of the beginning. And gaming is just growing and growing and arcades going with it today. So, Paul, can you tell our listeners where to find the World Championship of Esports and the MGL? Absolutely. Now, listen, everyone out there listening, I invite you, as does the whole video gaming community, come and join us. You can go to twingalaxies.com, uh, look up the threads there. I'm known as Triple O, and you'll find there the MGL launch trailer. You'll also find the games that are currently in play. So we've got actually... Uh, we've got four games in play at the moment, which are absolutely fantastic. We'd love to have you. Have you? So that's TwinGalaxies.com. You can also go to AussieArcade.com. If you go to that site, look me up or look at the MGL. Um, it's also covered there. Um, you can also go to Facebook. Uh, look me up uh, on Facebook. So my name is Paul Hornitsky. That's H-O-R-N-I-T-Z-K-Y. I also do the promotional launches and updates on Facebook. Um, and again, I'd love to have you there, so please do that. That's how that can happen. And Bob, I just wanted to mention to you as well, I wanted to thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. It's been a real blast, as you say. Um, it's been great covering a huge number of topics on the arcade scene, what's happening, points of view things to come, and there's a hell of a lot more we could talk about, and maybe we can do that some other day. I would look forward to doing that. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. Until next time, I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the 80s Arcade Podcast. We want to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at 80s Arcade Pod, on Facebook at 80s Arcade Podcast, and on the web at 80sArcadePodcast.com.